Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this show, we wrap up our two-part series on the Rosary, with Bishop offering his reflections on the sorrowful and glorious mysteries. Then it's on to Saturday's Ordination Mass, at which our diocese will welcome five new priests. For previous episodes or to submit a question for Bishop to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop, and we're going to do some reflections on the rosary, kind of a continuation of last week's episode. Uh, But before we get into that, do you have a, a special prayer for us for today? Why don't we pray the act of faith? We just celebrated Trinity Sunday, the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity, which of course is the great mystery of our faith, the mystery of God in himself as three divine persons one God and three divine persons. And uh, of course, we profess our faith in the Holy Trinity every time we pray the creed. So um, I thought it might be good to pray the act of faith. Okay, great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh my God, I firmly believe that you are one God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe that your divine Son became man and died for our sins, and that he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe these and all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches, because you have revealed them, who can neither deceive nor be deceived. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We started last week doing some reflections on the rosary. You did uh, two sets of mysteries, the joyful and the luminous mysteries. This week we'll do reflections on the sorrowful and the glorious mysteries and uh, doing things a little bit different instead of it being a conversation about them, um, information. uh, We invite people to pray along with them and we'll put some music in the background to help you to focus and, and to think about these different mysteries and reflect on them. And uh, this is all as part of a response to your share hour, Bishop, where you offered to do these reflections uh, in, in honor of those that have donated and supported Redeemer Radio. And so uh, these will be available in Redeemer Radio's audio library on the website, as well as in the Redeemer Radio app. So you could download them and pray along with them as, as your schedule allows. So we're not taking listener-submitted questions for this show, but if you would like to submit questions, you can do that uh, for future episodes. Um, but coming up, we'll have the reflections on the mysteries of the rosary right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and today we're doing things a little bit different. We're doing some reflections on the mysteries of the rosary, and so invite you to just wherever you are to take a little break and to pray along with Bishop on these mysteries of the rosary. Thank you, Kyle. So we'll do the sorrowful mysteries, and as I did in the last show, I will read a scripture passage that goes with each of the mysteries, and then a a short reflection. The first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden. We read in the Gospel of Mark. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be troubled and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and keep watch. He advanced a little and fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass by him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me, but not what I will, but what you will. When he returned, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Withdrawing again, he prayed, saying the same thing. Then he returned once more and found them asleep, for they could not keep their eyes open and did not know what to answer him. He returned a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinners. Get up, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. Every time we meditate on this sorrowful mystery, we consider the great anguish of Jesus. In Gethsemane, with the same three apostles who had been with him on Mount Tabor at the Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. And our Lord prayed and said, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Our Lord prayed so fervently that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And of course, the three apostles were overcome by sadness and overcome by sleep. Jesus was there alone then with the Father. And he prayed that God would take the cup of suffering from him. A very human appeal. How often we ask the Lord to relieve us of suffering. But our Lord declared his total obedience to the Father. He said, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' yes in the Garden of Gethsemane reversed the no of Adam and Eve in another garden, the Garden of Eden. And of course, the cost of this faithfulness to the will of the Father was Jesus' passion and death. He accepted in his human will that the Father's will be done. He accepted his death as redemptive out of his love for all of us. The second sorrowful mystery, the scourging at the pillar. In the Gospel of Mark, we read, They shouted again, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? They only shouted the louder, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And after he had Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. In this mystery, we think of Jesus tied to a pillar, receiving the cruel blows of the scourging. It was a brutal torture as depicted in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. The pain must have been unbearable. 
our Lord being whipped with small iron balls and sharpened pieces of bone that were attached to leather strips. And by the end of the scourging, a victim's shoulders, back, and buttocks would be covered with deep, bleeding stripes of ragged flesh. So by the end, Jesus was weakened and in terrible pain. But that wasn't all. He was also taunted and insulted and ridiculed. His suffering out of love for us is something we should never forget. The third sorrowful mystery, the crowning with thorns. We read in Matthew's Gospel, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus inside the praetorium and gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped off his clothes and threw a scarlet military cloak about him. Weaving a crown out of thorns, they placed it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat upon him and took the reed and kept striking him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him off to crucify him. Jesus Christ is the King of the universe, but in the Passion, his kingship was mocked, and he was crowned not with gold, but with painful thorns. It was placed down hard on his head. He was mocked as they spat upon him, put the purple cloak on him, put a reed in his hands in place of a scepter, and they kept striking him on the head. Our Lord was already in such pain after being scourged at the pillar, and now even his head was being bruised and attacked. The cruelty is unimaginable. Again, we consider our Lord's suffering out of love for us, something that we should never forget. The fourth sorrowful mystery, the carrying of the cross. We read in the Gospel of St. Luke, as they led Jesus away, they took hold of a certain Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country. And after laying the cross on him, they made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed Jesus, including many women who mourned and lamented him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep instead for yourself and for your children. For indeed the days are coming when people will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. At that time, people will say to the mountains, Fall upon us, and to the hills, cover us. For if these things are done when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now two others, both criminals, were led away with him to be executed. Jesus was very weak after the scourging and the crowning with thorns, yet he was made to carry the cross to Golgotha. As Isaiah prophesied, 
Jesus was like a lamb being led to slaughter. He fell several times, but he got up again and again, and he went on. Not able to go further, Simon of Cyrene was forced to help him. There were some women who pitied him. St. John, the youngest of the apostles, is the only one who followed him. Mary, his mother, met him on the way of the cross. Amid all this cruelty and suffering, Mary stepped forward to comfort her son. We can only imagine the pain she felt seeing her beloved son in such agony. The words of Simeon at the presentation in the temple were being fulfilled. Her heart was truly pierced with a sword as she saw her son carry the cross to Calvary. The fifth sorrowful mystery, the crucifixion and death of our Lord. St. John writes, Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now finished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine. So they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the Spirit. Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to the cross. And there he hung for three hours in terrible pain. Every part of his body must have been throbbing with pain and he experienced slow asphyxiation. From the cross, he proclaimed mercy. Jesus forgave those who crucified him. He proclaimed to the good and repentant thief that today he would be with him in paradise. And with great love for us, through John, he entrusted his mother to us as our mother. Then Jesus commended his spirit into the hands of his loving Father. He said, it is finished. His work of redemption was complete. There is no greater sign, no greater evidence of God's love for us than Jesus' death on the cross. God humbled himself out of love, as St. Paul teaches, even unto death, death on a cross. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bishop. Appreciate that. And if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them. We'll answer them on a future episode. You go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, 
Bishop will share reflections on the glorious mysteries right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and today we are sharing reflections that the bishop has on Mysteries of the Rosary. We've gone through three of the sets of the mysteries. If you missed last week's episode, you can go back and listen to that in the archives. Uh, But now we are going to have reflections on the glorious mysteries. The first glorious mystery, the resurrection. We read in Matthew's Gospel, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, approached, rolled back the stone, and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. The guards were shaken with fear of him, and became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women in reply, Do not be afraid. I know that you are seeking Jesus the crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Death did not have the last word. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. We think of the joy of those to whom the risen Lord appeared. The apostles, Mary Magdalene, and the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and many others. Jesus' death was not a defeat. The resurrection shows us the victory of his love, Jesus' triumph over sin and over death. He is truly the resurrection and the life. Our Lord broke the bonds of death. The resurrection of Jesus is the crowning truth of our faith. It confirmed the truth of everything Jesus had said and done. And it gives us hope that one day we will share in his glorious resurrection. The second glorious mystery, the Ascension. St. Luke writes, Then Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, raised his hands and blessed them. As he blessed them, he parted from them and was taken up to heaven. They did him homage and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. At the ascension, Christ was raised in glory to the right hand of the Father. He has gone ahead of us to prepare a dwelling for each one of us. Jesus did not abandon us, though, when he ascended to the Father. He intercedes for us at God's right hand. The Lord Jesus, who ascended into heaven, will one day come back for the last judgment, and we await his second coming with great hope. The third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit. 
In the Acts of the Apostles we read, When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then there appeared to them tongues as a fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. How often in the Gospels Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit and promised that he would send an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. Well, 10 days after the ascension, the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in the upper room. There they were for nine days, the apostles together with the Blessed Virgin Mary, praying and waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised. Jesus had promised them that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And that's certainly what happened. On Pentecost Sunday, they received strength from the Holy Spirit to begin the mission of evangelization. This was the beginning of the life of the church, the church which has a universal mission to bring the gospel to every creature throughout the world. The church is truly one and Catholic. It is one because of the Holy Spirit who is the cause and principle of the church's unity. And it is universal for the gospel of salvation is meant for every person. On Pentecost Sunday, there was no longer the confusion of languages as had happened at the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. For everyone in Jerusalem from all different countries who spoke different languages who were gathered there for the feast understood the apostles' preaching on Pentecost, understood according to their own language. The Holy Spirit brings unity to the church. And the Holy Spirit, whom we have all received in baptism and confirmation, continues to guide and strengthen us to bear witness to Christ in our words and in our deeds. The church's mission of evangelization continues today, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit for the new evangelization that we are called to carry out. The fourth glorious mystery, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In his first letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul wrote, And when this which is corruptible clothes itself with incorruptibility, and this which is mortal clothes itself with immortality, then the word that is written shall come about. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This reading of St. Paul, of course, reminds us that by his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death. Death is no longer victorious, but life is victorious 
in Jesus Christ. But not only in Jesus, because Jesus shares that new and eternal life with us. And the Blessed Virgin Mary had given herself with her whole heart and soul to the work of Jesus, her son. And so she shared in his life. She was assumed body and soul into heaven. Mary was raised to glory by her son in the assumption. God did not allow the body of his son's mother to decay. Her assumption into heaven is a singular participation in the resurrection of Jesus. Mary enjoys beforehand, by a unique privilege, the destiny reserved for all the just at the resurrection of the dead. Our spiritual mother is in heaven, where she prays for us, her children. The fifth glorious mystery, the coronation of Mary in heaven. We read in the book of Revelation, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth, to devour her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. Mary is in heaven, where she shines forth as the queen of the angels and queen of the saints. She is indeed queen of heaven and earth, of the whole universe. She participates in the power of her son, and she intercedes for us. She aids the church in the struggle against the devil, the dragon, in the battle against sin and hatred, division and injustice and despair. She is always our mother of hope. Clothed with the sun, the son of the risen Lord, she is the sign of victory for our times, just as she revealed to the shepherd children in Fatima. The Blessed Virgin Mary is our model because she accepted God's will in her life with humility and absolute faith. For this reason, God exalted her over all other creatures and her son crowned her queen of heaven and earth. She was the queen who was conceived without original sin, the queen assumed into heaven, the queen of the Holy Rosary, and the queen of peace. All right. Thank you for praying along with us. And thank you, Bishop, for those excellent reflections of the rosary. 
Just a reminder, you can ask your question for a future show by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. You can also check out last week's Reflections on the Rosary at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. And we will be talking about the ordinations of five men that are happening this Saturday. That's coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And this Saturday is a big event. June 2nd is the ordination to the priesthood at the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception in Fort Wayne. Starts at 11 a.m. It's open to the public, but you probably want to arrive early since we've got a a big class this year. And uh, it will be also broadcasted live on Redeemer Radio, so you can listen in that way as well. Our diocese has five men who will be ordained to the priesthood. We have Deacon Nathan Maskell, Deacon Thomas Zare, Deacon David Hunick, Deacon Jay Horning and Deacon Patrick Hake, all soon to be father and their name. So a big, big day for the church. Uh, seems like an especially high number of newly ordained. Last year we had two join the priesthood. Is our diocese experiencing a vocations boom of any sort, you think? Well, the ordination of five to the priesthood is the largest number in 43 years in our diocese. So it is a day to rejoice. But I wouldn't exactly call it a vocation boom. We're certainly doing much better. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been really happy with the increase in the number of our seminarians. But um, I would call it a vocation boom if I could ordain five every year. Uh, you know, we have <laughs> right. two next year, and I think two the year after that, and then I think it's up to maybe six. But so we're definitely doing much better. We have more seminarians than any diocese in Indiana, hmm. and we're the third largest diocese of Indiana, but yet we have the largest number of seminarians. But we still need more priests, so I don't think we should rest on our laurels, or we still need to continue to pray and pray and pray for more priestly vocations. You know, it's very interesting in in this class. These are four very fine young men, and I know them quite well since they've been in the seminary for several years. But one thing that's very unique is that four out of the five are all graduates of the class of 2009 of Bishop Dwenger High School. Huh. And I think that's that's pretty remarkable that yeah. we got four priestly vocations from one class of one of our Catholic high schools. So I think that's exciting for for Bishop Dwenger to celebrate. I don't know what happened that year, (laughs) or that class must have been a particularly uh, good class and to produce uh, four priests. So that's exciting, I think. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we see that with saints. They'll come in clusters and stuff like that. So maybe they were just really good at encouraging one another and supporting one another in their vocational discernment. Yeah. Well, you know, I was talking the other day with one of the graduates of that class, 2009 class of of Bishop Dwenger, and I said to him, you know, did you see those four guys? Did you anticipate that they might become priests? And he said, and then he mentioned two of them. He said, yeah, I thought they might go to this seminary and become priests. The other two, I never would have thought. <laughs> so I won't tell you, I won't tell the listeners who those are. Yeah. I won't tell the... the 
<laughs> our uh, deacons, which ones? But but I had to laugh at that. But I, I imagine their classmates are probably it's 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 neat for their classmates to see as well. Yeah. Well, mentioning that the diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend is having. Uh, an increase, it seems like, and especially maybe compared to some of the other dioceses in, in Indiana. Why do you think that is? Why do you think things are improving? Uh, and maybe what can we do to continue that trend or and get to where we're having five every year? Well, you know, vocations are a gift from God. It's a calling from the Lord. So I, I do believe that all the prayers that are offered throughout our diocese are bearing fruit. The Lord is listening to our prayers. And also, you know, there's the influence of good families, and I know a lot of these young men were very active in their parish youth programs as well, and I think that's also very important that we have strong and vibrant youth ministry in our parishes, especially for high school students, and also when they go on to college, that there be good and vibrant college campus ministry. So all of these things are helpful, and I do think that we have a lot of wonderful youth ministry programs in our diocese, although there are places where we don't, and mm-hmm. you know, we need to give a certain priority to the formation of our young people in the faith. Sure. So that's, that's a really important thing. I mean, I think there needs to be great attention by the church, and that means on the parish level especially to our youth and young adults. There are so many opposing forces, so many challenges to the faith in our culture today that um, we can't just take for granted that our young people will continue to practice the Catholic faith. We have to make sure that they're well-formed in the faith, well-educated in the faith, and that they have good experiences of involvement in the church so that they don't fall away. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people might not be aware of the formation process when a man does enter the seminary. Can you explain kind of what that process is and what the education they end up getting and degrees and things like that? First of all, it's a thorough application process before Mm -hmm. they are accepted. But once they're accepted, it depends on what education they've had. We have some men who, who enter the seminary or apply right after high school. And in that case, they will have eight years of seminary formation, four years of college seminary, followed by four years of theology. There are some who will apply after graduating from college, or even after a few years working after college, and they will have to do six years of priestly formation in the seminary. That six years includes two years of pre-theology and four years of theology. And then there are those who apply like in the middle of college, like I Uh did after two years of college, I applied to the seminary. So you have to see where each one is at. The program of priestly formation is is very comprehensive and thorough. It certainly has an intellectual dimension because Mm -hmm. they're studying philosophy and theology. And so that's quite uh, important, the academic part. But even more important is their spiritual formation, you mm-hmm. know, where they're, they're growing in their prayer life and their friendship with Jesus Christ. That's key. It's obviously essential to yeah. becoming a priest. One cannot share the gospel or preach authentically if one isn't deeply immersed in the Word of God and has a true, real relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Then there's the human formation, which is really foundational. We need and will only accept men who, who sh- have the evident maturity. Hmm. And by maturity, I'm speaking of affective maturity, which means that they're good, balanced men who are living an integrated life, able to form good friendships, that their character and their personality is what it needs to be for basically being normal in many ways, being psychologically and mentally mature, able to give of oneself to others, capable of of good friendships and good interpersonal relationships, and even such basic things as the personality of the person, you know? We need men who are affable, who are able to relate well to others, and who have the capacity to live a life of chaste celibacy. So the human formation is, is, as I said, foundational to all of formation. And then as time goes on in the seminary, they have the pastoral formation, which is really putting everything into practice, you know, the ability to serve, the ability to lead. So they'll have various pastoral experiences during their years in the seminary. They may be assigned each year to a different apostolate, what we call field education. For example, one year they may be ministering in healthcare, visiting the sick, mm-hmm. visiting people in hospitals or nursing homes, bringing Holy Communion to the sick and the dying. Another year they may have a teaching assignment where they would be teaching in a Catholic school or religious education program, usually one day a week. Another year they may be some service that they're assigned to with the poor, working in one of our social service agencies or or helping in either an institution or a parish in its outreach to the poor and the needy. Sometimes they're assigned to prison ministry. I mean, there's a variety of pastoral assignments, but we want to see evidence that a future priest truly has the pastoral skills and the competence to be able to serve others well. And then in addition to any degrees that they might have accomplished before entering the seminary, what would, uh, does every priest graduate with the same set of degrees or does it vary? No, I mean, everyone has to have the basic theological education. They have to have the basic philosophy before they begin theology. So that means at least 30 hour credit hours of philosophy and also some, some grounding in the liberal arts and humanities. Mm-hmm. I require, I'm requiring now all of our college seminarians to attain a minor in Spanish because that's a great pastoral need in our diocese. But they also study other languages like Latin and Greek. In theology, they're at that point graduate students. So most will attain a Master of Divinity degree. Okay. But they also, depending on the seminary, could enroll in other graduate programs and obtain, for example, a, uh, a Master of Arts in Theology. Or if they're studying in Rome, they can attain, uh, in some places in the United States, they can attain a license in Sacred Theology. That's the degree that I received. I got a bachelor's and a license in Sacred Theology and then a license in Canon Law. So there are a variety of different different degrees depending on the seminary that they attend and what is offered there. And then 
what happens at an ordination mass and maybe how is this an extension of their ordination to the diaconate that happened last year? Well, it's similar in the fact that the, the rite of ordination takes place after the bishop's homily. And just like that diaconate ordination, it begins with prayer where they prostrate on the, on the floor as everyone prays together the litany of the saints. Oh, and actually there's something before that, Kyle, I forgot. There's a series of questions that mm. after they're presented by the vocation director, uh, there are a series of questions or promises that they make in my presence. And then they kneel before the bishop and make the promise of obedience. And that's done both at diaconate and at priesthood ordination. So anyhow, then mm -hmm. getting back to the litany of saints, they're prostrate on the floor. Then they come over and we have the laying on of hands. The bishop lays his hands on each of them. That's what's called the matter of the sacrament. That's essential. That goes back to apostolic times when the apostles would lay hands on those whom they would ordain. So there's a laying on of hands in silence upon each of the men. And then after the laying on of hands, the bishop prays what's called a prayer of ordination or a prayer of consecration, very lengthy prayer. And that's what's called the form of the sacrament. So you need both for it to be a valid ordination. You have to have the laying on of hands and then that prayer of ordination. When the prayer ends, they're priests. Hmm. You know, they've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are ordained priests. After that, they're vested in the stolen chasuble of a priest. And after they are vested, they come back to the bishop. And at that point, I present them with the patent and the chalice. Um, oops, Kyle, I messed up again. Before that, <laughs> I anoint their hands with the holy chrism. Uh -huh. I anoint their hands with chrism. And then after that, then I present them with the patent and the chalice because they'll be offering Holy Mass. They now have the power mm -hmm. to confect the Eucharist. After the presentation of the patent and the chalice, then I give them the sign of peace. It's called the kiss of peace where I embrace them. And then all the priests who are present also come up and embrace them. I forgot to mention also that after the laying on of hands, before the prayer of consecration, all the priests also come forward and lay mm -hmm. hands on the heads of the men. So after the kiss of peace, then mass proceeds. There's the offertory procession, the gifts are brought up, and then that's the first mass that the newly ordained priests are con-celebrating, which is very beautiful. And then mass proceeds basically as usual. So. If you've never been to an ordination mass, I, I uh, highly recommend it. It's such a beautiful liturgy. It's so uplifting. Like a week and a half ago when I ordained our, our two new deacons, mm -hmm. um, it was such a joyful occasion. So the priesthood ordination will be an occasion of great joy for everyone. And if you can't make it, as you mentioned, it's being broadcast live on Redeemer Radio, and I think it's being live streamed also by our diocesan communications Yeah, office. and we've actually, we're able, with the diaconate, we were able to sync up the audio from Redeemer Radio for the video broadcast oh, from uh, today's Catholic or from the diocese, yeah. And do you have a favorite moment from the ordinations? 
Well, definitely the laying on of hands. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a powerful moment when I'm conscious of the fact that as I lay my hands on their heads, they're receiving an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's pretty incredible thing to, to think about. And it's very humbling. All right. Well, thank you so much. Again, keep these men in our prayers, all seminarians, but especially these five that will be uh, receiving the ordination this Saturday at 11 o'clock at the Cathedral in Fort Wayne. And you can listen live uh, through Redeemer Radio, or you can watch the live stream as well. From uh, the, I know the diocesan Facebook page streams that, and there's probably other ways to get it as well. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go, Bishop? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. God bless, Kyle. Tune in next Wednesday at noon for a new episode of Truth in Charity. With the Feast of Corpus Christi approaching, Bishop Rhodes will talk about the history of the Mass going all the way back to the second century. Then it's on to listener-submitted questions. If you have a question for Bishop Rhodes to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.